Welcome in. I'm Lawrence Holmes. I told you there was going to be some different stuff that we were going to be trying on the podcast. And shout out to my homie, Joe Kilgallen, who is taking care of the other side of this pod, my favorite cub. I am taking care of my favorite White Sox. So basically what we're going to do, our goal is to talk to White Sox fans that you know, maybe a couple that you don't, maybe we can introduce you to a few of them that you don't know, and we can talk to them about their favorite White Sox player and why that person is their favorite White Sox player. I figured it would be a lot of fun. This is the brainchild. Uh, A lot of friends helped out with this concept, so I want to thank them. I want to thank my friend Alicia Thompson, who helped me kind of solidify the idea. I want to thank Jay Zawoski for helping me kind of work through some of the things that I wanted to do on this. And I'm so happy. Like, I'm, I'm really happy. I, my intent was not to host this pod. But after running it through and talking with a couple of different people that I wanted to have be a part of this like you know what how about I just do it how about I just bite the bullet and you you know talk to people about the White Sox because you know I hate talking about the White Sox so that's what I decided to do and our first episode is with one of my favorite White Sox fan friends my guy Mike Hall who does an incredible job for Big Ten Network He's one of those people that whenever you see him, you kind of smile. If you want to follow him on Twitter, Mike Hall here is how you can follow him on Twitter. But you've seen him on Big Ten Network for, God, I mean, I think since it launched. And before that, he won Dream Job on ESPN. We'll get into how he became a White Sox fan. And what it is about the White Sox that drew him in. Like, this is the goal of this pod. Like, we're not really talking about what's happening currently. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is to have a little bit of fun, talk about some of our favorite players, reminisce, share stories, and and talk about players that we love. So, Mike is the perfect person to kick this off because he's got a lot of feelings And he had to work through when I said, look, this is what we're doing. I want to know who your favorite is. He's like, man, I got to whittle it down to one. And I said, yeah, I need it to be one player, just one. So we did that. So let's talk with Mike Hall and find out who his favorite White Sox is. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Always good for you. So, so. Let's get into the weeds on your Soxdom before we talk about your favorite White Sox, okay? Groovy. Do you remember when it started? Because I feel like most children have that moment where they kind of have to choose. If you're anywhere near or around Chicago, you kind of have to choose. For me, I didn't have to choose until much later. Like, my parents took me to Cubs games when I was little. Um, we, we used to get the, uh, the uh, tickets for attendance and stuff. So yeah. I'd end up at White Sox games too. And then I was able to choose a little bit later on in life. For you, how did it start? 
So growing up in Glen Ellen, Western Burb, um, I had a similar thing. I've never, I get why some people feel they have to hate one of the other. I've never been that way. I born in the early eighties. So as much as I love the White Sox, if you didn't like Harry Carey, if you didn't like Harry and Stoney, if you didn't like Ivy on a brick wall, if you didn't like Ryan freaking Sandberg and the Hawk and the Shawnometer, like if you didn't like that stuff, then you didn't like sports. Like that stuff was awesome. And it was such a great time to grow up in. And so I've never hated the Cubs, but my dad was a Sox fan. His dad was a Sox fan. And we just kind of grew up like I might have, when I was like real young, I probably ended up watching more Cubs because you get home from school at three and it's the seventh inning on GN. And, and so that might've happened more, but by the time I was like 10, 11, 12 and started to really want to watch games, I mean, you're talking 92. So that's blackjack. That's Ozzy. That's Robin. That's big hurt. That's, it's a pretty great team. And that's when I started really falling in, in love with them. Um, but it was, it was never one or the other. But I think because that was the team my dad paid more attention to and watched more, it was like, well, that's where I am too. I'm always curious about our parents, like that age group when it comes to the White Sox. Who was your dad's guy? Like before you guys, like really, who was the guy that he was telling you about? We got to watch the games because you got to you got to watch this guy. Or man, you missed a great player back in the seventies because you should have seen this guy. He he liked his. So he was born in fifty four. So he liked some of the sixties White Sox, but there was never like one dude that he was locked in on, like. He might have told me about, you know, Fisk or or Seaver from more like the mid to early 80s. Um, then he did, I'm trying to think, uh, Lopez or um, uh, Aparicio or, or someone like that. But we, we like I said, that, that early 90s team was such a fun bonding team. He liked talking about Frank Thomas as much as anybody. I mean, I, I always say uh, the concept of steroids was obviously very damaging on baseball, but like Frank Thomas had Oak trees for legs at Auburn. Like my man wasn't on anything that he came out of the womb, four foot eight. Like that's just, that dude was just big. And that was so easy to root for, but I'll tell you a story about, um, about father, son and early white Sox. Do you remember I don't remember the day in September, but when they clinched the AL West, Bo Jackson hit a home run. Yes. I remember watching it in the kitchen with my dad. And it's one of those things like it's not funny unless you were there. And it's probably just going to come off corny and cheesy when I say it. But because it's baseball and fathers and sons, it's allowed for no reason. My dad and I, that whole game, didn't say Bo Jackson whenever he came up. We said, Bo Jackson. <laughs> We've never done that before. We never did it since. But I remember shaking our mouths when we said the letter B in Bo Jackson. And then he hits that, that home run. And, and that's just a memory that sinks with me forever. And like six years later, uh, seven years, something like that. I went to a truck stop one time, just on like a road trip somewhere. And we stopped and they had the, uh, a t-shirt on some truck shop of the printout of the sun times the next day, shining Bowman, I believe was what the headline was. 
And and I bought that right away. And it cheesy and ugly, but like I held on to that thing for 15 years. Uh, but that's like one of my earliest memories, and it was right there with my dad, which made it extra cool. Oh, that's so dope. And you talk about guys that came out the womb four foot eight. I mean, Bo Jackson and Frank Thomas. Like you talk about natural athletes. Like, like, like how scary both of those guys are. Just like the genetics and then the work that they put in Ugh. with the genetics and, is unreal. And think if he, we talk about people who were born in the wrong generation, right? Like I was talking to someone about Purdue's big man, Zach Eady. If he was born 20 years earlier, he's the first pick in the draft. It's Easily. not even, it, it's not even close. What if Bo Jackson was alive today? That injury doesn't end his career. Like the science and the medicine has gotten so good. He could have had a 15 year career and, I, I my only hope as like a father for my kids is that they get a chance to watch a Bo Jackson, like to watch a Deion Sanders or somebody and go, how does a human do that? Like, how did, how are you that good at multiple sports? It, he, he was, and what was he with us like two years? He wasn't a sock that long. No, like, not at all. Not at all. But it, he, and it's funny because it feels like he was with the team longer. Yeah. And, and even now, like his relationship with the franchise is really strong. Right. Right. It, it's, it's a weird thing, man. Cool. It, it, but it, you're right. Like to have one of the coolest. And I guess, I mean, now, honestly, we could, we could make the argument that the White Sox ended up having the three coolest black dudes in sports. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Bo, you had Frank, and you had Griffey Jr. <laughs> You're right. Right. Like that. That's a that's a win. I never really thought about it that way. Um, somewhere, somewhere, Kenny Williams is listening. He's like, "Why didn't you include me on that list?" <laughs> he is one of the coolest. He just wasn't one of the best. So that's the problem. Um, but yeah, man, that that's um, that that's some pretty awesome stuff, man. I I. I love hearing stories about like those moments when we kind of fall in love with sports and, yeah. and, and that's it right there. So, you know, I, I won't make you wait any longer. Like, let's get into it. Who sure. is your favorite White Sox? Mark Burley. I, uh, I never thought someone could replace the big hurt because Frank, Frank had a different thing for me. Again, that's when you're, you're falling in love with sports, right? You're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old for me watching Frank, but I've never had, I mean, you could, if you were a Giants fan, maybe you had this with Bonds, but I've never had anyone where I was counting down three, four, five batters down the line of like, when's Frank up next? And if it's the top of the six and they go to break and the, the uh, graphic comes up saying, you know, two, three, four is up next. And you see Frank is three. You're like, I'm not going to the bathroom. That's like, right. I'm locked in to watch him do that. Um, I never had anyone like that. So I never thought someone would replace Frank. And then I don't know what it was, but it could have been that he was Burley was drafted in the 285th round. It could be that he took one and a half seconds between pitches um, I, I don't know what it was, but I just like Frank was an instant. I'm in love with you, but Burley like just grew on me year over year and starting every opening day and that vibe you get on opening day and then seeing him be the guy who takes the ball. And he was so good. And the, the, 
you're a diehard, so you'll get this too. I, wins don't matter as a stat, right? They just don't. That dude lost like nine wins a year because he'd throw a one-run eight-inning game and lose. And again, that doesn't matter now. But like back then, you're going, he should have had 24 wins this year and 23 wins last year. And I don't know. I, I just, I thought he was, he was so good. He was so low maintenance. Yes. At least that was my perception of him as a player, as a person. Like he would talk to the media. He didn't. I like everything about how that guy was and that he was with us for a long time too. It wasn't like a bow where you go, I adore this guy, but he was here two or three years. He was the face of the team for a long time. The fact that you could pencil him in and you knew from Mark Burley, you were getting 200 innings every single year. Like yes. that level of consistency plus dominance, yeah. I think is what makes him a favorite to a lot of people. He, he was so that's a great word for him too. consistent. Like I, I, I love hate the debate about the hall of fame with him because when you watch him, you were like, I mean, he's one of the 10 best in the league year after year, after year, after year. And then you compare some stats and you're like, geez, I, I guess he's just the hall of very good. I, I but I love him so much. I want him to be in there. And I, I'll tell you, um, when I think about Burley, there are, uh, two like two more personal moments for me though that that resonated more um well there's a lot of moments like remember the um opening day the between the leg flip yes that was unbelievable that's deflected over looking to play by burley mercy wow from the gold glove winner look at this that one's going to be on highlight reels all year long. Take a look at this one again. And they're going to give Burley a chance to see if he's entirely healthy. He flips it between his legs to a barehanded catch. Hermes coming out to take a look at Burley because that one hit him square. What an effort by Mark Burley. Like that was, I don't have an emotional attachment, but just as I was talking, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's one of the, I remember back when baseball tonight was a big deal that like led the show and Harold Reynolds was like, folks, we're not going to have a better web gem. It's the first day of the year and the season is done. That's the best <laughs> web. <season. laughs> um, but here are the, the two stories I was going to say. So I got to throw out a first pitch at a Sox game and Burley caught it. And that was Burley's thing. For some reason, he loved catching the first pitches. I don't know if it, my understanding was every time he didn't start, he wanted to catch the first pitch. So I went out there and was, you know, nervous as could be. And it ended up being in 05, that magical. It was like July 7th of 05. Uh, and so that makes it extra special. But like warming up for a half hour on the, uh, in the Sox parking lot and trying to get loose and everything and, uh, and throwing to him and then him coming up afterwards, signing the ball and handing him to me, takes a picture, shakes my hand and slaps me on the arm and says, you got to be nice to me on ESPN now. And I was like, okay, Mr. Bush. <laughs> Um, but the second thing was, was also that year I was lucky enough. I was living in Charlotte at the time for ESPNU and I had uh, our buddy, Teddy Greenstein reached out and said, I have tickets to the ALCS. Do you want to come in? And I was able to manage my schedule around fly in the night before, uh, fly out the morning after. And I got to be there for game two. Burley started game two of that ALCS a week later. 
Teddy reaches out again and says, do you want to go to a World Series game? I was like, are you kidding me? Game two again. Burley again starts it. So like all those little those little things that just pile up over a career make me just go, he's he's locked in. Like I have all these big memories that just he's never he's never going to be replaced. Now, look, I, I am not one. I mean, I love making an argument. Obviously, I do it for a living. When it comes to Burley in the Hall of Fame, I know that he doesn't have, like, the traditional Hall of Fame, like, clearly with the wins, and you just brought up the reason why the win is such a can, – can be such a bad indicator of what a player is or isn't because there's multiple times where you'd be like, man, Burley probably should have had six more <laughs> wins in a season throughout yeah. the entire time that he was a White Sox, right? Like, all that stuff. But when you look at the the metronome way that he would go about seasons, 200-200, you can just lock it in every year. The ERA below four, the whole bunch of gold gloves that he had, he has a World Series. He also has a no-hitter. He also has a perfect game. Like, to me, it, it, as far as the guy that doesn't blow you away with the traditional statistics – I feel like there's enough um, circumstantial evidence that allows you to put Mark Burley into the Hall of Fame. Well, and that's what I was just going to follow up on, is what if you don't look at him in a vacuum, but look at him on the curve of when he was pitching. Yes. And who he was facing and what they were on. Then his stats start to look even more impressive that that's a guy who was facing dudes who were on stuff and he was still consistent. And there were pitchers who might've been winning AL Cy Youngs, maybe with Toronto when he could have been perhaps winning something and didn't get it. When you start to put those little pieces together, if you're really giving a fair argument, his stock starts to rise a bit more. Yeah. I, I agree with, with that wholeheartedly. So what was it like to, like, you have this player that you've got this connection with, like, and now, like, that connection is personal. Like, you had that moment of throwing out the first pitch in a season that was magical. You have an an opportunity to see that team that you love in those moments. And then you hear about, like, the legendary stuff with Burley, where if you want to, here's the argument for Burley making the Hall of Fame. The guy does what he does as a starter. Ozzy tells him that he ain't, he's not in the bullpen for game four. So this guy goes and does his thing and, and is having drinks in the, or game three and having drinks in the dugout. And, right. and then Ozzy's like, yeah, you should probably go get your spikes. He's half in the bag. And he still went out and, and, and picks up a, a World Series save. Like, like that's legendary shit right there. That is the thing. There are so many of those utterly incredible moments with him that start to pile up the no hitter the perfect game and then the dude starts game two of a world series and saves game three how many people in the hundred and whatever history of this sport have ever done that i mean it's it's ridiculous there were just so many moments like that 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 this guy had that were you'll never see it again i mean i think that's part of that is why we love baseball 
is like you can hear Tim Kirkchen's voice cracking as he points out, this never happened before. But like, <laughs> that happens all the time in that sport. Well, you know what? The, the more that we talk about it, the more I have a cross-sport comp for Burley. And it's local, too. It's Charles Tillman. Ooh. Here's why. Charles, if you look at his numbers, traditionally as a cornerback, not a ton of interceptions, but a ton of turnovers. Okay? A lot of fumbles. A lot of fumbles, right? Yeah. And what happens every single Sunday when the ball gets punched out? Peanut punch. That's what the announcer says, right? So he he's already legendary. His name lives on inside the game. Same thing for Burley. What are we what are the entire new rules of baseball? When Theo Epstein was talking about what he wanted games to look like, who was the pitcher that he named? Mark Burley. Exactly. Exactly. I it's funny. I never I would have never thought of that Tillman comparison. And that's another one, right? He's probably not a Hall of Famer. Not but, going to be, but, but should be. <laughs> maybe he should be. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with that. Like, that was one of the things that I thought, I, I mean, these new baseball rules, I love them. I mean, I even the ones that I wasn't so sure of, I've come around on almost all of them. But the, but the pitch clock especially, games feel so much better. And I think that was such a great way of selling it, was saying, this guy, who even if you didn't like or wasn't on your team, you liked the way he threw, we're going to have everyone do that way. Like, that's that says something that that's all these little things are part of Mark Burley's legacy that, that I think will be remembered even in 10, 20 years. Okay. Last thing I'm going to ask you about this. Um, and I appreciate you jumping on as per usual. How would you like when your kids get old enough to really understand when dad really loves the white Sox? What are the things that you're going to tell them about Mark Burley? Oh, that's good. Um, by the way, side note, uh, I know kids don't really collect baseball cards every year or anymore, but like I'm constantly buying them for my kid and being like, yeah, we should we should open these up. And like we just opened one the other day and there was a Dylan Cease. And I was like, you need to know this is a big deal. You got to wait. Some. Um, but anyways, uh, also, Santa might be dropping them every stocking. And sure. not a big deal. Um, but uh, yeah, I think when, when I tell my kid why I like 56, I think I will say because I don't have a great baseball comparison for him. I don't have another player that I go, he was like this person. He was so special because nobody worked as fast as he did. He didn't have an ego. He, he trusted his teammates, especially his catcher. He gets the ball, gets the sign and throws. He never shook off a guy. And like the value of what that gives your, your teammates is great. The value of getting your teammates to be involved, right? Your shortstop's never going to be on his heels when Mark Burley's on the mound because he's got to be on his toes because the ball could be in play any second. Um, and then I'll talk about the special moments. Uh, uh, starting a World Series, getting a save in a World Series, a perfect game, a no-no, an unbelievable flip under his glove, uh, creating Hawk Harrelson memes that will never go away, uh, calling your sons and daughters, like... Uh, there were so many special moments. That's what I'll point out to my kids. And I think the cool thing is when it's just a bunch of special moments, you can find them. Like I'll be able to show them 
the perfect game. I'll be able to show them the glove flip. I'll be able to show them highlights from a World Series. And 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 that's kind of, I, I think that helps make it special. And that that's part of why, I, hopefully, I'll be able to teach my kids that that should be one of their favorite White Sox players, even though they never got a chance to see him. Outstanding, sir. I appreciate you and your time and you sharing the story of your favorite White Sox. That was fun, buddy. Always love talking to you. I knew that Mark Burley would be one of the people that we would be talking about on this pod. He's arguably one of the most, if not the most, beloved White Sox that there is. I don't want this to just be like a conversation about whether or not someone should make the Hall of Fame, but I do think that inside of the conversation that Mike and I had about Burley that we should go back and look at his numbers. 59.1 B-War for Burley in his career. Almost 3,300 innings pitched. Almost 1,900 strikeouts. A career whip of 1.281. He's got a World Series in 2005. He has a no-hitter. He has a perfect game. He has five All-Stars. He had four gold gloves. The win total, not a product of him. Only 214 to 160 losses, a career ERA of 381. And the thing that I said to Mike that I think sets Burley apart is look at how many seasons where there's 200 innings on this dude. 200 innings. 2001 through 2014. Every single year, he gave you 200 innings or more. And even in his last season, like, this is wild. His last season with the Blue Jays, Mark Burley threw 198 and two-thirds total innings. Just a, an absolute horse. I think all of that stuff needs to be taken into account when you are talking about someone and whether or not they belong in the Hall of Fame. The traditional numbers, to me, don't matter as much, especially when you're adding in postseason dominance a guy that has a win in a World Series game and a save in a World Series game. I, to me, it's hard to deny him. As we get smarter, I think, as a baseball public, it's hard to deny a guy that was himself in the postseason. Like If you look at his numbers in the postseason, he was just that dude. So... I'm glad that Mike had the time, and I'm glad that we could talk about one of my favorite players of all time, Mark Burley. And the beautiful thing about this pod, at least what I hope happens with this pod, is that we get to see some of the cool stories. And I've got an array of, of guests that I'm going to bring on as well that I, I'm hoping to get some people that – I don't know, maybe actually played for the White Sox and see what they say about their favorite player. That's one of the goals of mine. And we're going to do this. We're going to try to do this once a month. Like, that's the that's what we're thinking, that we'll do a Cubs one and a White Sox one once a month, and we'll be good to go. So I appreciate you sticking around and you being a part of all of this. And we'll have some more fun next month. I promise you. I'm so happy I was able to find, like, this version of the song, too, right? This is good. Thanks for support of House of L. 
We really appreciate it. And we'll have episodes with some of the people that you love. And Sports Adjacent is still here. But this is going to be one of the fun experiments that we have for the rest of the baseball season and beyond. If you've got ideas of who I should talk to you about this, houseofllpodcast at gmail.com is the way you can email me. But we do have a pretty good list so far. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.